You are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Amen. You know, when I, the choir was singing the song Blessings, I got to thinking a little more about those, those words that they were singing. And, and through our theme that we've been talking about through the book of Ruth the last few weeks on living the plan B life and, and why the plan B life can be so hard for us. You know, when we stop and think about it, we don't like the plan B life because the plan B life is not our plan, right? You know, we, we think, wait a minute, we had things planned you know, we had a way we wanted to go. We had dreams. We had goals. We had a vision. We, we, we said, here's how it's all going to work out, God. Have you ever made plans and then just asked God to bless them? Right? Like, God, I got to figure it out. All I just need you to do is show up and bless it. Yeah? I got it laid out perfectly for you. And then what happens? It all changes. Yeah? And now we're on plan B. And we, we struggle with that because... Sometimes those blessings do come in the middle of a storm. Sometimes those blessings do come when things are hard, when things are difficult. And what we've been saying throughout this series is this tagline that your plan B is really God's plan A for your life. Your plan B is really God's plan A for your life. And we've been tracing that theme through the book of Ruth. 
And so if you're a, you're a guest with us today or, or maybe you missed a week, you can obviously catch up online if you'd like to and listen to those sermons. But let me just kind of review with you where we've been and, and we'll land to where we're going this morning. But remember when our story opens in chapter 1, you have a man and a woman that's married, Naomi and Elimelech. Now Naomi and Elimelech, they live in Bethlehem. Uh, they're a Jewish couple and there is famine that hits right? And it's a bad famine. And so Limelech and Naomi say, all right, we're going to move to Moab. Now, Moab, remember, is not a Jewish territory. So this is kind of what they would consider pagan land. You know, these people that worship all kinds of different gods, but there's food down there. So we're going to, we're going to go to Moab. So they live in Moab. Now they have two boys, Malan and Chilon, and those two boys marry Moabite wives, Ruth and Orpah. But now tragedy strikes in chapter one, because when chapter 1 ends, you end in three funerals. Elimelech, Malan, Chilin. All three men are gone, and they don't leave any children. You know, so now you have three widows in a time period that it's hard to be a widow. You know, there's no government social security plans. There's no kind of government assistance for them. So when we open chapter 2, Naomi said, Hey, I've heard that the famine has lifted back home. I'm going home. I'm going back. And he, she tells her two daughter-in-laws, don't go with me, right? You stay here because my situation's worse than yours. But Orpah says, okay, I'm going to stay in Moab, which is kind of signaling, all right, I'm going to stay with my gods. Ruth, though, says some of the most famous verses in all the Bible in Ruth chapter 1 and verses 16 through 18, where she says, no, I'm, I'm going, and your God's going to be my God. Your people, my people. I'm sticking with you, Naomi. I'm going with you. And we, we say Ruth kind of had a conversion experience right there. Ruth, Ruth said, all right, I, I'm following you now. And so now they go back, and they've got to eat, right? Well, the way God helped those that were widowed, fatherless, you know, the immigrants, the poor, is he set up a system within the law, and he said, okay, farmers, when you plant and you harvest, don't harvest everything. Right, leave a portion for those that are widowed and homeless and orphaned and, and immigrants. Let them go in your fields, and then what's left, let them help. And that was the way that he said God's people take care of people. And we see that's still our call today. So Ruth happened by chance, right, to end up in the field by a guy of the name of Boaz. Now, Boaz is related to who? Naomi. And we said last week in the plan B life, you've got to remember there's no such thing as accidents, right? God has it under control and God's going to provide for you. So he used a guy by the name of Boaz to supply for Ruth and Naomi. And he used Boaz and his giving to help Ruth and Naomi out. And so in the plan B life, we said, all right, three things so far. Number one, you've got to accept that that's now your life, right? Plan A is gone. And this is plan B, and I'm going to live out plan B because my plan B is really God's plan A. That was week one. Last week, God's going to provide, and there's no accidents. So this week, we want to kind of finish up and say, hey, how do we leave a legacy? How do we take our lives and make sure they matter for God? So if you've got a phone with you that's got a Bible app, uh, click that to Ruth chapter 3 if you've got a Bible in your hand. Uh, Let's go to Ruth chapter 3. Because when Ruth chapter three opens, you've had Naomi, or excuse me, you've had Ruth and Boaz on one date. They've met, gotten to know each other a little bit, had dinner. 
And, you know, husbands, you can still take your wives out today. I'll get you out before all other denominations, okay? That is your Mother's Day prayer. Lee, wrap this thing up. We got to beat everybody else to Red Oak Cafe. So you, you, you have a date that took place in chapter 2. Will there be a second date is the question. But Naomi to the rescue, she's going to play a little matchmaker. Pick up in verse 1 with me. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were with? She's winnowing, uh, see, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the fresh threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So essentially, Naomi's kind of giving Ruth a little push. She's like, hey, there's going to be a party tonight. The barley harvest is over. They're down there at the threshing floor. Get out of your sweats. Put on your makeup. Go. All right? Now, the next couple of verses I'm going to go over are weird. All right? Let's just get the cards on the table. They're weird. They're weird to us in our Western American culture. We have to remember, this is written almost 3,000 years ago in a Middle Eastern culture, okay? So, with that being said, pick up in verse 4. But Naomi says, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. All right? Weird, right? We read those verses and we're like, huh? Well, understand a couple of points. Number one, in this culture of the day, this was a nonverbal sign for the lady to essentially say to the guy, if you ask and you want to be married, I'll say yes. All right? So that was kind of Ruth's way of saying, hey, Boaz, I'm here. And if you want to get married, just ask. I'm okay. All right? But understand this also. There are things in the Bible that are descriptive and prescriptive, okay? Prescriptive means when you read a passage and it tells you what to do. Descriptive is you read a passage and it tells you what happened. This is descriptive. We do not advocate you going tonight to a strange man's house and uncovering his feet, okay? Descriptive. Now, Ruth does it. You pick up in verse 8. It's midnight. It's been a long day. Boaz has eaten and he's drank a few and had fun. And verse 8 says, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And man, I laugh at that every time I read that. I just love that verse. That's one of my favorite verses of the book of Ruth. It's like, thank you for cluing us in on his reaction who among us would not well there's a woman verse 9 who are you she said i'm ruth your servant i love this part though man this is so good spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer and and i love what ruth is telling boaz right there because see back in chapter 2 verse 12 boaz prayed that god would spread his wings over ruth and protect and so Ruth's looking at Boaz and say, hey, remember that prayer? Yeah, I want that to be you. I, I, 
I want to be under your protection. I, I want to be with you. You know? And, and when I read what's going on here is I, I don't think Ruth is chasing Boaz at all. And I don't want you to read that. I don't think Ruth's like chasing Boaz down here. Ruth's just getting in his way. Okay? She's just making sure he knows all he's got to do is ask and she's okay with it. Because ladies, if you haven't figured this out, we guys can be a little slow. Okay? It might take us a few times to get it. You know, there was an ad recently in the... Uh, on the on, on online from the Smart Marriage newsletter, and the ad read this: Single blonde female seeks male companionship. I'm a very good-looking girl who loves loves long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup truck, hunting, camping, and fishing trips. Candlelight dinner will have me eating out of your hand. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work, and all you have to do is kiss me, and I'm yours. Call 404-875-6420. Ask for Daisy. 15,000 men called that number. And the lady who answered was an operator for the Atlanta Adopt-A-Pet Society. (laughs) Because they responded to an ad about a six-week-old golden retriever who was blonde by the name of Daisy. Ladies, sometimes you just have to get in our way. (laughs) Thankfully for Boaz, he got the hint. Because we have a marriage proposal in verse 10. Boaz says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Verse 11, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all your fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Man, I love that. We got a marriage proposal. Things are looking good. Boaz and Ruth, they set a wedding date. You know, he he finally put a ring on the finger. I mean, it's it's clocking okay, right? Plan A is, is on its way. But there's something that happens. Another turn. Another twist of life, another down when you think everything's up. We get these all the time, don't we, in life? Things are just, you know, going fine, going fine. Uh Uh-oh, put on the brakes. Boaz remembers something and reminds Ruth of something. He says, now it's true, verse 12, that I am a redeemer. Yes, a redeemer, though, that is nearer than I See, there's now another guy in the picture, verse 12. Boaz says, yes, I'm a close kinsman redeemer, but there's actually one ahead of me. There's one more closer to Naomi than me. And when we read verse 12, we're like, no. <laughs> right? No, don't come in here. We don't want you so-and-so. We don't want you in this story. We want Ruth and Boaz. Because aren't we a people that love a good love story? Aren't we a people that see that played out on television and and we get emotionally involved in those characters and and we want to see them come together? We want to see that love happen. We want to see them unite. I mean, think of the shows over the years. You've got Sam and Diane from Cheers, right? I mean, Luke and Lorelai from the Gilmore Girls. 
You got Jim and Pam from the office, Ross and Rachel's from Friends. One of my favorites growing up as a teenager, Zach and Kelly from Saved by the Bell. You know? I mean, we root for this. We long for this. We see these love stories playing out. We're like, yes, come on. They're going to get together. They're going to get together. And here it's Ruth and Boaz. We're like, Ruth and Boaz, no, who's this guy? We don't want him. Boaz says this in verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, and this is a promise, he says, I promise you, Ruth, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. When chapter 3 closes, we close and we're wondering, how's this plan going to work out? Is Ruth and Boaz going to happen? And in the plan B life, there's those moments where we're like, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Will this work? Will this come together? Are you going to provide? Will kind of the foggy moments in my life, will they lift? You have to remember this. God is working. God is moving. God is providing. You might see God do five things in your life. When in reality, he's doing tens and thousands of things behind the scenes you don't quite see yet. So in the plan B life, keep trusting him. When those moments go down, when a curve comes you didn't see, when you hit a roadblock you didn't expect, he's still working. He's still providing. When we pick up in chapter 4, we see Boaz is now at the city gate. It's the next morning. He's called a meeting of the elders of the city. Verse 1 says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside, he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and they asked them to sit. Verse 3, Boaz comes to the Redeemer, and he says, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you'll not, will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And then to verse 4, there's some words we don't want to read. The guy says, okay, I'll redeem it. And we're thinking, man. This so-and-so guy's just getting in the way, right? But then Boaz reminds him something. See, as a kinsman redeemer, part of the responsibility was try to keep the family land in the family. So at some point, Naomi had sold off part of this land. And so part of the kinsman redeemer, if you had sold off part of your family's land in a moment of you know, economic hardship, the, the redeemer could buy it back. He could bring it back into the family. And that's what they're talking about in verse 4. And the guy's like, hey, I'll do that. You know, I'll bring the family's you know, land back in. But then Boaz reminds him, hang on, there's something else part of this. See, if you're single, you need to marry the widow to try to keep the family lineage going. And, and remember, where's the family lineage right now? It's gone, right? Did you have kids in the story up to this point? No. Naomi's two sons died. Ruth and Orpah's husbands died. They didn't have any kids. The family lineage is done. It's gone. It's dead. 
So Boaz comes in verse 5, and he's like, whoa, 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 hang on, wait, 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 wait one second. I, I, you know, I need to remind you of this. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. You, you have to marry Ruth, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I can't do it, <laughs> lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So now you've got a kinsman redeemer who, for whatever reason, he's saying, nope, if that's the deal, it's off, right? Because I've got my own inheritance to worry about, because I have my own plans to worry about. I'm not going to redeem it. Ah, Boaz is back in the game, isn't he? Well, guess what? When he heard that, I want to invite you now to the wedding of the century. Verses 9 and 10, we've got what we wanted, we got what we hoped for, we got what we longed for. Verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilin, all that belonged to Malan, and also Ruth the Moabite the widow of Malon. I bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native people. You are witnesses. See, I, I want you to get here. In plan B living, it's hard to see sometimes how God's working. It's hard. You wake up some mornings and you're like, what are you doing God but step back with me for a moment right let's just let's kind of step away from chapters three and four and let's let's pull back and let's think about this story at the end of chapter one you had three funerals in the chapter two you find Ruth in a field who happens to be Boaz's field God's put her there God's put on Boaz's heart to provide for chapter three you saw the marriage proposal. You saw kind of a, a, a moment where it didn't look like it was going to work out. Chapter 4, we're at a wedding. They're married. Well, guess what's about to happen now? We're going to have a baby on the way. Because in verse 11, the ladies of the town begin to pray for Ruth. And they say, uh, then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make known to the woman who is coming to you in your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. And I, I love this prayer because if you remember the backstory of Rachel and Leah a little bit, there was a time in their life where they were barren. But then these two ladies became part of the matriarch of Israel. And so they're saying, listen, God, we're praying for Ruth to have a baby, to continue that lineage of Elimelech. Will you bless them, Ruth? Or, or will you bless them, God? Bless Ruth. Bless Boaz. But I love something else that's going on. And don't miss this part. This is a Jewish community praying and accepting in a Moabite woman. This is a Jewish community looking at Ruth and saying, You know what? You don't look like we do. You don't always speak the same language we speak. You don't have the same traditions and customs and upbringing than we do. You don't have the same education level many of us have. You don't have the same economic level that we have. But Ruth, we're bringing you in. We're grafting you in. 
We're loving you in. We're bringing you into our community as one of ours. You know, as a church, we want to love people. We want to lead people to Jesus Christ to help them have a new life with Christ, no matter who they are. And church, that means this. There's going to be times we have to love people that do not look like us. We have to love people who don't always speak the same language we do. It means we have to love people who don't have the same upbringing, traditions, customs that you and I have. It means we love people that aren't on the same economic level or as education level we are. That when we say we love all people, we love all people. Why? Because they're people. It's who they are. They're just people. They're people made by God. And, and you and I are just to love them because they're people, no matter who they are. And, and let me say this. If you struggle with that concept, you know, if you hear that and say, wow, that's hard. I don't know if I could do that. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. That's hard to love somebody that doesn't look like me, talk like me, have the same traditions I have, all those things. Let me remind you of this, if you will. 2,000 years ago, there was a Middle Eastern man that did not look like you, didn't speak the same language you did, didn't have the same customs and upbringings that you have, wasn't on the same education level, and wasn't on the same economic level as you are. But 2,000 years ago, this Middle Eastern man took every one of your sins, God put it on him, he stretched out his arms on a cross and died for you. And the Bible says that you and I love because 2,000 years ago, that Middle Eastern man first loved us. And his name was Jesus. And so you and I can do that. You and I can love all people. Why? Because we were first loved by someone who didn't look like us, talk like us, and have the same upbringing as we did. And thank God for that. Amen? And so here we are. The community's praying, asking for blessing. The weddings happen. Verses 13 through 17 says, now there's a, a baby. Drop down in verse 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave this baby a name. A son had been born to Naomi. They called him Obed. His father was, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You know, when you think about the plan B life, you get in those moments where you don't know where it's going to work, how it's going to work, what's going to happen. And I want you to remember this verse today because we're going to jump into the New Testament with this verse and, and, and some of you are going to know where I'm going with this. It's Romans 8.28. For all, then we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And so in your plan B life, remember this, it's really God's plan A all along. And you may not see him providing. You may not see him quite working all those things out. But remember that Romans 8, 28 promise as you just saw that work out in Ruth's life and Boaz's life and Naomi's life. Is say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you through this process that you, God, are going to work this out for your good. And here's where I want to challenge you today and just kind of give you two action points to take home with you. Number one is this. Do not waste your plan B life. Do not waste your plan B life. Cancer is bad. Alzheimer's is bad. Losing your job's bad. A health issue can be bad. A disability can be bad. All those things can be very, very hard. But that doesn't mean God can't use them.
Because all those things I just said, all those things some of you have been through, those can be the best things that can happen to you. Because at those moments, you can draw closer to God. God can use those to bring you closer to Himself. But you have an opportunity to leave a legacy. In that plan B life, you have an opportunity to leave a legacy. See, you might be today a wife of a husband that has a a mental illness, dementia, Alzheimer's. And you can set an example to other wives, to all of us in this church, by the way you've taken care of your husband, the way you've helped him, the way you've loved him unconditionally. You may be struggling with an illness today, a a cancer, or, or you've gone through that. When you remain faithful and you keep worshiping and you keep loving God and you keep seeking Him, you're setting an example for all of us. I mean, listen, I I tell people this all the time. When those moments come, when that hurt comes, when plan B starts and you don't know which way's up, don't quit on God. Don't walk away. Stay faithful. Because what happens is when someone else knows what you're going through and through your pattern of faithfulness, through your pattern of worship, through you continuing to model for them what a plan B life looks like, loving God, serving God, they are going to look over you and go, wow, if they can do that through that, man, I can do that through this. So when you're seeking to leave that legacy, Take that pain and say, God, how can I turn this into purpose? How can I turn this into purpose of loving you, serving you, getting the gospel out, helping others? How can I turn that pain into purpose? Do not waste your plan B life because it's God's plan A all along. It's the life he's given you. It's the life he's asking you to lead. But secondly, let me give you this action point. Celebrate Jesus with me today. See, Jesus is the true hero of the story. Right? We can look at this story and and we can celebrate Naomi. I mean, we can high five and say, you know what? Matt mentioned earlier, Naomi in chapter one, man, she's in bitterness. Right? Chapter four, you see Naomi, she's got that grandbaby on her lap and she's back to being happy. we We can celebrate that this morning. All right, for Naomi, it came full circle. We can celebrate Ruth today and say, Ruth, look at that faithfulness. Ruth, look how you stay steadfast. Look, Ruth, how you hang in there. All right, Ruth, way to go. We can celebrate Boaz and then go, you know what, Boaz, man, way to go. You stepped up, you served, you loved Ruth, you did what was right as a man. Way to go, Boaz. But how about we celebrate Jesus today? He's the true hero of their story, my story, and your story. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, hang on, we're, we're all the way here in Ruth, and that's the beginning of my Bible, and Jesus doesn't come till the middle, right? It's like a thousand years before Jesus comes. How, how are you getting Jesus out of this? Well, that's a fantastic question. Thanks for asking that for me. Because, see, God came up with this whole thing called a kinsman redeemer. And every kinsman redeemer throughout all of history pointed us to the one true perfect kinsman redeemer to come. See, the responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer were this. 
You had to be blood-related. Kinsman-redeemer had to be blood-related. Well, guess what? In God, or excuse me, in Jesus, God became man. He became related to us. A kinsman-redeemer had to pay the price of redemption. We see in Christ, He paid the price for your penalty and my penalty of sin by His blood. He died on the cross for us. He became a curse for us. So we didn't have to experience the curse of hell and death and separation from God anymore. He paid that price. And a kinsman redeemer had to be willing to do it. See, didn't we see a kinsman redeemer in this story this morning who said, I I don't want to redeem. I don't want to do that. That's going to mess up my own inheritance. But it is Christ who is our willing kinsman redeemer. Mark 10, 45 says, Jesus says this when he was here on earth. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, we can read through this story of Ruth this morning and say, Jesus, thank you for being the true hero of their story and our story. Because if we ended right there, oh man, we would say, wow, it's a fantastic story. That's really awesome. That's really great. But I want to end on one more verse today, if you will. And and, and these last four verses, they're a list of names. And I know we get excited about a good genealogy list when we come in our Bible. I mean, it just fires us up, doesn't it? Right? We we read those genealogies and we're like, why in the world, God, did you put this, this list of names in there? I mean, I would have wrote it totally different. Well, I'm glad he wrote it the way he did because he's God. Because at the end of verse 22, now watch this with me and hang there. The end of verse 22, you get a list of names. Obed, Father Jesse. Jesse, Father David. And if you remember when this story took place, chapter 1 and verse 1 told us it was during the time of the judges. One of the darkest periods spiritually of Israel's existence. There's no king right now. Oh, but there's a king to come. There's a king to come by the name of David. And let's go one step further. No Ruth, no Boaz, no Obed, no Obed, no Jesse, no Jesse, no David, no David, No Jesus. See, what they thought was their plan B life was really God's plan A all along. This morning, what you think is God's plan B for your life is really God's plan A. You are loved by Him and you have a purpose in that. Don't waste that plan B life. Seek to live a godly legacy. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org.